Welcome to the Ramp Church Podcast. We are so honoured that you've joined us today and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church forward slash mcr or find us on social media. Now let's head straight into this week's message. Thank you guys so much for having me today. My name is Matt Vera Wilson, like they said. Uh, you might always think, how do I say my middle name? My middle name is Vera. If you don't know how to say that, just rhyme it with Sarah. Uh, but don't ever call me Matt Sarah Wilson, because I'll be offended. But I just want to say, I am so privileged to be with you guys today. I truly am. Uh, I've loved uh, Stacy and Joe for a long time. They, I, I've only know, spoke to Joe a while back, and I've been meaning to, to meet Stacy for a long time as well. But every time I've seen them preach, you guys are blessed with some great leaders here. I'm going to tell you that. Really, give honor to your leaders, because they are great. Right? I've also got uh, many friends uh, scattered around here. I can't actually see everyone, but um, I'm very blessed to be with you guys. I've also got my prayer storm leaders in James and Rebecca, which is amazing. What's really funny is when you work for a company like Prayer Storm, when non-Christians ask you what you do... When I used to work for The Message, it was quite easy. You say, oh, I work in schools, we work in prisons, we share the gospel... Now when people ask me what I do, I sort of say, well, we sort of intercede for a Nazarite um, uh, intercession to come upon the church. And they're like, okay, do you get paid for that? And I was like, yes, I do get paid for that. <laughs> and what do you do? <laughs> oh, okay, you work for Tesco's. Okay, no worries. <laughs> but honour to these guys as well. I love them. I didn't think you were coming tonight, James. I thought you were going to be intimidated by me preaching. So anyway, don't worry. If you're getting nervous, don't worry. You know, you know I'm sure. Sure, there'll be some ministry for you later. Don't worry about it. <laughs> also, want to give honour to my wife as well, Beth. Um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be our ten-year wedding anniversary this Friday. So yes, we are going to London, which I miss very much. It's weird now, even though I'm from London. When I go back to London, I sort of find London accents very peculiar. It's cute, especially Cockney accents. So I do like being up in the north. People actually speak to you on the street. It's a really weird experience. And they speak to you in their front gardens, and they don't hide in their back gardens. So sorry of offending any Southerners in here. I am Southern, so I can't offend you. Anyway, don't worry about it. Okay, so when I was... um, I'm going to pray, actually. Why don't I pray? So, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that the word I bring tonight, Lord, would rest well, Lord, and it would actually amount to something and not just be another sermon, God. So I pray that in Jesus' name that everyone would be able to hear the word that you have for them tonight, God, and would be able to receive something that would grow up into some revelation, understanding that's going to cause much fruit. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was thinking, what do I share today? Uh, Two things came up straight away to my mind. Number one, the word came up, disruptor. And I felt you guys, in a positive way, were disruptors. And I also, randomly, an old UFC fighter came up to my mind. An old Nigerian, which I don't watch UFC, but this old UFC guy came up. He was a guy called Usman, something, I don't know. And he used to say this phrase, I'm a problem. And that came up to me straight away when I was thinking about you guys. Disruptor and I'm a problem. In a positive way. (laughs) 
disruptor means simply put is it's someone who isn't afraid to make waves or someone who is constantly pushing the envelope to be better without worrying how things have always been done. Ram Church, you are called to be a problem. Say with me, I am a problem. Say, we are a problem. (laughs) You are a problem to the kingdom of darkness. You are going to cause anxiety to come upon demons. You you are an actual problem. Say, I am a problem. problem. Come on, you can get louder. We are a problem. (laughs) You know, there is nothing ordinary about our God, so there should be nothing ordinary about us. Who believes that? So we are a problem to the kingdom of darkness. And he always wants us to blending and not stand out. He wants us not to be a problem at all. And he just wants me to walk around with this little light of mine instead of a burning furnace for the kingdom of heaven. You know, Hebrews 12 talks about a great cloud of witnesses that surround us like a coliseum and watches down on us. They don't want to just watch us in our boxes watching Netflix. What are we showing them so they should turn up to watch us? You know, many of us, we have a desire to go deep in God, but we just lack the investment. So we have a desire, but we have to start to match up the desire with the investment. The enemy, um, Satan, (laughs) who fell like lightning, is an external being. He's an angel. He's an external being, like God is an internal being a lot of the time. He's the, we're obviously called to be the temples of the Holy Spirit. But Satan is a demon out there. He's an angel out there and he's external. So he wants us to operate all our energy in the external realm. He wants to keep us occupied out there so we don't go deep in here. And he wants you to be turned into a carnal consumer Christian. That's what he wants to turn you into, a carnal consumer Christian, because he wants you to stop engaging in the spiritual battle and instead take on too many natural battles instead, because that's where he operates. Friends, you're not a problem. I'm going to step on a few toes right now. You're not a problem when you're more evangelistic about your vegan diet than you are about Jesus. You're not a problem when you're more concerned with saving plastic bottles and plastic bags than you are about saving souls. Please do that stuff, but please don't be more concerned about natural battles than spiritual battles. We need to match the desire with the investment, don't we? And the devil works around the clock. He doesn't have weekends off and he never comes to encourage us. But he always wants us to expend 95% of our energy into an external building big on the outside. Do you know how he gets us to keep doing that? He gets it by us receiving the approval of man. He wants to keep us building big externally by the approval of man because you can get something from man when you build on man's land. You get a pat on the back, you get a like, you get something, an affirmation from man. But when you go and pray and you fast and you seek and you evangelize in secret, you get something from God. Man doesn't pat you on the back for that stuff, but God does. Remember that the kingdom of God is opposite. 
If you want to go up in the kingdom, you need to go down. If you want to live, you need to die. If you want to receive, you need to give. (laughs) If you want to go public, you need to go private. You know this stuff. (laughs) And this is one of my favorite, this is one of my favorite revelations that the Lord gave me last year, which he was like, I have not called you to decrease so I can increase. I've called you to decease, not decrease. John the Baptist said, you need to, I need to decrease so Jesus can increase. Yes, I believe, and I believe it wholeheartedly. But Jesus went a step more. He said, you need to die so that you can live. So you need to decease, not decrease. And in the West, we love a slow death, don't we? We don't want to get shot by a gun. We want to get shot by a tranquilizer gun so we can get all woozy and sort of stumble our way to death, believing that God wants co-ownership and not lordship. <laughs> oh, my days. I'm getting abs praying up here. It's good. This is a hit training. This is, should be called Ram Church and Pure Gym. This is brilliant. <laughs> so when we match our desires with the investment, we become a problem to the enemy. And prayer has to be not just something that you've done in the past. It has to become your life. If you want to be long-term in ministry, if you want to plant your, your oh, I don't know, I was going to say, what does a tree have? Roots. <laughs> I was going to say veins, but trees don't have veins. If you want to, tra- if you want to plant your veins, anyway. If you want to be like a Psalm 1 tree that offers shade to people, you need to plant yourself by living water day and night, not day or night. And so re- we need, to know, we need to find a place, especially if we're in ministry, which we all are full time, that we can receive nourishment and nutrition from heaven. We also need to find a place that we can be ministered and encouraged and strengthened by angels. Remember what the fasting Jesus said in Matthew 4 after his battle with Satan. It said that when the devil left him, angels came and took care of him. And they attended to him and they ministered to him. If we are rooted by there, we're going to have supernatural things that are going to encourage us. And they're going to get us going for another seasonal battle ahead. (laughs) I feel like this for you guys. I feel like you have some creative battles coming up. I feel like God has put a rich creativity in you and he's going to add creativity to you in abundance. And you're going to have creativity from heaven that's going to make you a problem. It's going to make you a disruptor because you're getting your light source from heaven and not from earth. What was God doing in the first line of the first book of the Bible? He was creating. In the beginning, God created. Our God is an artist. Say, our God is an artist. In the beginning, he was creating. That was his number one thing. And I felt like this very strongly for you guys at Ram Church, that the investment behind your creativity will become your force. The investment behind your creativity will become your force. Years ago, when I didn't know much about the ramp, I was in here at a ramp evening. This was about eight years ago. And there was a group of teenagers on this stage, all dressed in black. Is it called Chosen? Okay. I didn't know. They were all like 14 years old. And um, I was just staring at them. I must have looked a bit weird. And I was just like, what is it about them? Their dancing was good. But there was something else, and I was mesmerized by it in the unseen things. And I was asking God, why am I so besotted by this group? Like, what is it? 
And he said, you've never seen 14-year-olds strong in spirit. You've never seen it. 14-year-olds are not usually interested in this type of thing, especially being strong in spirit. And you've just never witnessed that before. Their creativity was good, was really good, but their investment was the force behind them. And I just feel like the, if you were to invest in fasting, praying, and receiving the nutrients from heaven for creative outplugs, God's going to do mighty things with you. Because you're going to create from his light source. Who knows an artist back in the day called Matisse? Yeah? Matisse, I don't think it was a Christian or that. He spent his whole life, like, I think, painting nudes and drawing all these cutouts, you know, big scissor cutouts, big colourful things that have sort of... Um, I don't know, pioneered lots for today that we see uh, in the marketplace. Anyway, he did, he did this all his life. He was an artist. And at the very end of his life, a nun asked him to draw the stations of the cross in his church, in this, this little French church. It's beautiful. And so he started to make stained glass window with his artwork. And all of a sudden, he started to create colors because light started to shine through his man-made art. And he said it was the first time in his life that he was able to achieve the artistic creativity he had longed to do all his life. Because he took his man-made thing and allowed God's light to shine through it. So what could we become? What could you guys disrupt in this city if you weren't getting creativity from the, the, the world, but you were getting it from heaven? What could you disrupt in the airwaves? I hope that's encouraging. It is encouraging me. Can I just pray for anyone who's a creative? Put your hand up a minute. Can you just stand up? I want to just pray, pray a quick prayer over you guys. Just hold out your hands a minute if you can. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would release a heavenly creativity over these people now, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would send ministering angels, Lord, to give them ideas in the night, Lord, in the daytime, God. And I pray, Lord, they wouldn't be able to create from themselves any longer in any shape, way or form, but they would cut, they would they would create from a place, a light source in you, Lord, where it's not taxing on their flesh but it's actually incredibly liberating, God. And so, Father, I just break off anything that is holding them now, Lord, to go in that fruitful expression of what you have for each and every one of them, God. I pray, Lord, release songs from heaven, God. Release creativity in graphic design, Lord. Release stage design. Release all that you want to do, God, in these people, God. And I pray, bless them from heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can sit down. So Ram Church, you are called to be a disruptor, a problem. (laughs) You are called to be a disruptor even to stale church patterns. I believe that. And you are called to cause anxieties upon the kingdom of darkness. I don't like calling it a kingdom of darkness because he's not a king. But anyway, I don't know other word to say. But I'm going to say kingdom of darkness for now. But for Matt... But when we match the, the when we when we match the desire with the investment, like I said, we become a problem. And Jesus, at twelve years old, was a problem. He was investing his time in the Father's house in prayer, not on his PlayStation, but in whatever the arcade was of the day. I'm sure PlayStation was around then. Anyway, it was Game Boy. Anyway, he wasn't involved in that arcade of the day. He was in his Father's house praying, hours and hours and hours, forging not on the surface but underground forging underground practicing everything of giving everything to God which is lordship by the way which we're all called to and it's like what Smith Wigglesworth used to say I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside 
And so when Jesus was, was developing these almost spiritual muscles, when he was investing himself, when he was matching the desire with the investment, then 18, 19 years later, when he steps out and he starts doing ministry, <laughs> he goes into a synagogue in Capernaum, doesn't he? In Ma- I think it's Mark 4, 11. And as soon as he comes in to start teaching, an evil spirit screams out the moment he starts teaching. And he says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Friends, it's a scary one. It's a scary thing when the kingdom of darkness does not recognize you as a holy one of God. When it looks at your life and thinks, they're nothing to fear. They're nothing to be worried about. That's a scary place. We can trick the seen world, but the unseen world knows who's who. They know who's who. Because Jesus on the surface is nothing much. He's not coming with Swedish good looks or straightened hair or Tony and Guy products in his hair. It says in Isaiah 53 too, it says that he had no beauty or majesty or cool trainers or anything to attract us to him. He had nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Think about that for a moment. He had nothing in his appearance that we should, attract, we should be attracted to him. Isn't that crazy? In this day and age, that's what the most spiritual man had. So on the surface, he wasn't much. <laughs> But under the surface, the light, the investment, the revelation caused a panic attack to come on a demon. (laughs) And this story has been messing me up ever since I read it again. I've I've known this for years, but it's been stirring me afresh. I want to ask you the question. Does your hidden life cause demons anxiety or comfort? (laughs) This, This question was messing me up. This is the question that was going through my head. You encourage me. I'm like it. <laughs> I'm getting fit here. <laughs> how many teachers taught in that synagogue before Jesus came in? And how long was that man with that evil spirit sitting in the church? Was it a month? Was it a year? Was it years? Yet this is what the Holy Spirit was revi- um, showing to me. The demons were comfortable in other teachers' presences. Oh my days. You don't want to miss your moment. You don't want to have not invested when you need to step up in a moment. You need to make the investment right now. To the enemy, are you a problem or are you just another Christian person? And I want to say this. We are not relevant to the world because we wear relevant clothes. We are not relevant to the world because we listen to even relevant music. We are relevant to the world right now because we carry a power that can break every chain. That is why we are relevant in this moment. So many people are in bondage right now. You're the most relevant one because you carry a power. You carry that power from above, not from below, but from above. And so you are the most relevant person in your community right now. And you need to know you are a problem. When you start realizing who you are in Christ and start getting overly confident in the things of God, you are a problem to the things of the enemy. (laughs) And I love this uh, quote I heard recently. You can't do spiritual warfare as a part-time Christian against a full-time devil. (laughs) I love that. That's not mine. You can't say that's me. Anyway, (laughs) we have to be two-feeted into God, don't we? When you're one-footed into God, you get no joy. You get no joy in the things of God. You get no results. You get no joy. You get no intimacy. It's just an absolute boring place to be. 
We need to be full-time, not part-time. I once asked uh, God, you know, what do you want from me? You know, who's ever asked that question? Straight away, God said to me, what's your birthday? So I said, July 24th. He said, exactly, 24-7. That's what I want from you. I never saw that before. What an idiot. (laughs) But we are called to be a problem, like I said. And you know what? Life is always going to give you a way out, isn't it? It's always going to give you an excuse. It's always going to give you a reason to back down or give up. It's always going to give you a problem. Jesus said himself, every day has enough problems of its own. So we have to settle some key biblical decisions in our heart about what our lives is actually going to be about. We have to cover some basics and implement them as disciples. Two basics I implement. I was never, I didn't grow up in the faith. I didn't grow up in God. I, I didn't become a Christian until I was like 22. So I had to learn the basics, but not just learn the basics, implement the basics. Truth applied transforms. Not just truth memorized, truth applied transforms. And so I had to implement prayer and evangelism. Every disciple is called to both those things. You know, for me, prayer, I'm not even going to talk too much on prayer tonight. I want to talk a bit more about street evangelism in a minute, if that's okay. Who's excited about that? Cool, brilliant. I want to talk on prayer, but I feel like God wants me to talk on this other thing. But, you know, for me, prayer was the thing that was the access point into knowing God. For me, just a quick recap of how I came to Christ I was not a Christian my whole life. I went to a Methodist church every five years to a Christingle service. That's all I knew about God. At university, I was with a girlfriend for like two years. I went with her and my best friend to Thailand. And we had like a a great time out there, etc. And then my relationship with my girlfriend, who I'd been with for like two years, started to break down. And I was like, what's gone on? And so when I came back home, I realized that my best friend and my girlfriend were both cheating on me. Crazy, huh? And so my, I started to talk to this guy because just before I left, I attended a church. Beth invited a whole group of us lads to the, to the church. And I was like, oh, this is quite cool. And I remember going back after I found out that horrible news. I just lost the two closest people in my life. And so when I went to the church that time, I, I spoke to this guy called Simon. And I told him the issue. And I said, oh, my best friend and my girlfriend just cheated on me. Aren't they awful? And I thought he would agree with me. And he said, actually, I think, Matt, you need to pray that God blesses them. And I was like, okay, that's not right, Simon, but thank you, you know. And anyway, so I went home to pray that night. I'd only prayed for a Nintendo 64 before that, which I did get. So I'm 100% getting my prayers answered up to that point. The craziest thing is I thought you had to pray in the dark. So I put loads of towels up to make the room extra dark because I didn't know what I was doing. So I was thinking more like a vampire than a Christian. And so I started to pray, like, God, like, (laughs) I started to pray, God, bless them in their relationship. And all of a sudden, the presence of God fell on me. One of my eyes started to shake. My mouth started to shake like a crazy beaver. I started to speak in tongues and the presence of God. And then from that moment on, this is like 13 years ago, I hit the ground running and everything was about Jesus all of a sudden. I was in a nightclub the next week. Someone was talking to me about cheese. And only in England, someone would talk to you about cheese in a nightclub. But this was the thing. And I thought they said, cheese, Jesus. So I started, and they were like, no, stop talking about Jesus. We're talking about cheese. So English people get really angry when you start cutting up their cheese stories. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, oh man, that's good. 
So, and then I started to hit the ground running. Prayer was my place of access into God. And then from then, there's no way back. When you have a taste of heaven, a taste of earth doesn't cut it any longer. You can't go back. (laughs) There's nowhere else to go, literally. And so the three books that get placed in my hands straight away when I become a Christian is the Bible, The Purpose Driven Life, and Smith Wigglesworth's autobiography. So I just thought that's the normal level that you have to try and get to. And so I'm going to now try and become like that, which is a bit crazy. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, I won't tell this story. James doesn't like when I tell too many Smith Wigglesworth stories. <laughs> oh, no, no. He's offending me. Anyway, don't worry. <laughs> Smith Wigglesworth, though, he was not bothered about the people around him. He was bothered about what God wanted in his day. And he was going to devote himself to God to become God's man for the day and actually leave a legacy on the world around him. <laughs> as a people, as a person, friends, you want to surround yourselves with people in the past and people in the present that are going to get a gold mentality out of you for God. You want people who are going to disturb your faith levels. You want them to literally make you feel like you're not saved. You want to be around those people. (laughs) You know, some of us, all we really need to do in this season is change our group of friends. Because it's producing a shallowness in us. And we want to be in a place of depth. And so if you're hanging around with five guys and they're all shallow guess where you're going to be? You're going to be somewhere in the middle of that. My friend used to say, show me your friends and I will prophesy your future. (laughs) If you want to become a tall tree, plant yourselves around tall trees and you'll grow tall. So I want to talk, I really want to talk about prayer, but I'm not allowed. So I'm going to talk about evangelism today. Okay. Hands up if you would call yourself a disciple. Yeah. You would call yourself a disciple. Okay, hands up if you would call yourself an evangelist. That's a good number. This is a blessed church. (laughs) I'm just like, please, Lord, let there be one. (laughs) When we heard the call of God on our lives, Jesus said the same thing to all of us. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, didn't he? Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. <laughs> he took you on as a disciple to fish for men. That's a simple, simple thing. If I was, just say I worked for press or, uh, sorry, for the Ram Church full time and I got brought on as a graphic designer, but I had been here for like 10 years and I had never produced any graphic design, that would be weird, right? If I'd been brought on, as a graphic designer. I want to say who's a problem. Clay is a problem to me. Put your hand up, Clay. Okay, see, Clay was the graphic designer at uh, Preston before I came. And I always now feel a pressure. I need to up the game of where he took it. So he's a problem to me because I show Beth, who's also a graphic designer. What do you think of this? And she's like, I think I prefer Clay's. I was like, oh, he's a problem to my life. Anyway, I do love him. (laughs) But it would be weird, right, if Clay was brought on here as a graphic designer and he never, ever produced any graphic design. There is two foundational calls by Jesus to all of us who would say we are a disciple. Number one is come to, come to Jesus, like Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha story. Come to Jesus, sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. Everyone's called to come, right? The other side of the coin is go. 
Not just go to church, not just go to leaders meetings, not just go to band practice, not just go to this meeting or that meeting, but actually go and reach the lost. One of my prayers to God was, I don't want to be as bold as a lion in the church and as bold as a kitten outside the church. That was my prayer to God. And after a small amount of time, I don't know about you, being me being Sherlock Holmes, I'm seen sitting in church every week for the years thinking, the lost are not actually coming in. There's, who else has had that revelation half the time that hundreds of the lost people are not coming in, even though we're doing a great job? Where are the lost? Yes, I'm sure you can do things that can, obviously, word of mouth, great website. These things can help. But at the same point, the amount of people in the city or the community you're in are not coming in. And after a while, the Holy Spirit starts to stirring you that you need to go. You're the one who needs to go. Even if you're weak in that place, God can make you strong in that place. <laughs> I want to say, when I was a non-Christian for 20 years, you get trained to stay away from religious gatherings. You get trained that religiousness is bad. And I know we're not religious, but you know my point. You are, called, you are trained subconsciously. Even when I was in the garage just before I got here, they were playing a song that no more religion. We don't want religion. In the garage, it's just meditating on that. So you are trained to stay away from it because you have said that it's dull and you'll become irrelevant if you become a Christian. And I believed that for years. It was a lie, by the way. And I actually became a lot more myself, not a lot less. And so when the Holy Spirit starts to stir in you that you need to go, because those have been trained on the outside not to come, by the way. And I love this quote. This is my favorite quote. It's the most simple. I like simple quotes. This is my favorite simple quote. If you want change, change. Yeah. If you want change, stop talking about it and just change. Time is tick-tocking down for people out there. And I don't know about you, but at the start of lockdown, I'm not thinking about COVID. I know that sounds, I'm going to, people are feeling bad about me now. I'm not thinking about COVID. I'm thinking about prayer and the lost. I'm thinking about binging on the word of God. I'm thinking about getting such a depth in God. And God said to me very clearly at the start, I want you not to come out surviving, but shining. You need to invest. You need to binge on the things of truth. But also, there's a lot of people out there. And I, and I want to say this. Hell is a lot worse than COVID. And there's a lot of people who are dying at the moment. They need the word of life. Two types of evangelism that I want to pick up today quickly. One is relational evangelism. And the other is missional evangelism. Relational and missional. Make sense? And you don't need a platform for either, which is amazing. I always say this to people in our church. The goal of Christianity isn't for one day you to stand up here and to give a good word. And then someone to determine that you're good enough to build a conference around. That's not the goal of of Christianity. The goal of Christianity is to have Christ formed in you, to fully be developed in you, that you can do the works that God called you to do. That is a successful life. If you're called to be up here, fantastic. But if you're not, be faithful and allow God to fully work his, his lordship in your life. <laughs> oh, my days, I'm sweating. I never sweat. I always wanted to sweat. I've always wanted to sweat in, evan- in, in preaching. And I just had my dream come true. Thank you. Ah, oh, brilliant. I can leave now. I can go to heaven, Lord. I'm done. <laughs> okay, so if, if relational evangelism, that's the one I 
lean to the most. You build a rapport with someone, obviously. You pray for them. You, ca- you actually care for them. You share what Jesus has done in your life and you hope for an opening where you can actually share the gospel with them. But I want to say this, and I don't hear this many places. Relational evangelism is not enough in this day. We need more. We need something extra. We need to all take on missional evangelism. I don't hear anyone really talking like that. We have to, we have to now learn how to go. I want to say this. If, I don't know how big the church is here. Just say this is a church of 300 people, right? Let's just guess. It's a 300 people church. I'm sure I'm wrong. Um, but you are in a city of Manchester. Do you know how many people live in Manchester? 2.8 That's in Greater Manchester. But I like your stats. In Greater Manchester, two, yeah, two and a half million, leaning towards now three million. In Manchester, there's 530,000 people living, just in Manchester. If we all rely on relational evangelism and say we're a church of 300, and all of us are implement, we are inputting into three people, just say, and hoping one day we get to share the gospel and they get to come to Christ. So that's what, 300 times three. I'm a graphic designer. Even I can work that out. That's 900, right? That's 900 people touched, which is amazing, but it's in a city of 530,000 people. And for my heart, I consider you guys to be one of the most on fire churches in the city. I, I, I hope I'm making sense. So relational evangelism is, is amazing. And I've seen the most fruit in, evan- in relational evangelism. But there comes a moment where we realize it's not enough. We, come, we just like this. And, and no one's... The, the masses are not coming in, so we need to go out. We need to go out. And I want to say this. This is the good news for today. You don't have to be an evangelist to reach people. You just have to be a disciple. Who Put your hand up again if you're a disciple. You just have to be a disciple. It says in Mark 16, it says that Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This is what Jesus didn't do. Jesus didn't pull together his 11 evangelists. He pulled together his 11 disciples. Okay, he didn't pull together his 11 uh, evangelists and get Billy Graham to do the talk and then send them out to You Make Me Brave by Bethel. He didn't do it like that. He called to himself, didn't he? His disciples, not his evangelists, his disciples. And he said, you go and preach the gospel. The job of the evangelists, those who have put their hands up and thankful for that, is your job to equip the saints in the works of the ministry. An evangelist will train anyone, not just they go out and catch all the fish. They will train any disciple who wants to learn how to catch fish. So you have to realize, friends, as well, that if you know God, you are incredibly privileged in 2021. You are so privileged. In the last season that we've had this crazy uh, trilogy of lockdowns, um, you are blessed to have God in your life. You know, many people out there don't have a connection to God. And I like to say it like this. It's like a Wi-Fi code. If you went into a cafe and you wanted Internet access, you would say, watch your Wi-Fi code, wouldn't you? You say, what's your password? And you would then they would give you the password and then you would access the Internet on their 
on their uh, connection, wouldn't you? Not on your connection, on their connection. When we go out to evangelize and pray for people and love on people, we allow them to borrow our connection before they can establish their own one. That's what it is. You are lending out your connection until they can establish their own one with God. Well, I hear what you're saying, Matt Vera Wilson, but evangelism still freaks me out. I want to say I am the perfect person to speak on evangelists because I used to be the worst street evangelist of all time. I could even feel, this in a joking sense, almost when I would go out to do it, almost like God was like, oh, (laughs) angels cover your eyes with your wings. I don't know how wings cover your eyes. Don't look at him. He's going to put you off faith. I would go out and we would be told to go out and do healing on the streets and it was just so I was so awkward I just turned into an, a waiter I just kept going up to people and saying excuse me sir excuse me madam I don't speak like that but I, and then I kept saying no and they're getting angrier and angrier and angrier and it was the only church thing I've ever been to where I would actually pray in my heart that it would rain so it'd be cooled off I would long I would play that song in my head let it rain let it rain. Please cancel this outreach again, Lord. I'm not joking. It was the only thing I wish would get cancelled. And then it hardly never rained, which was really annoying, especially in Manchester. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm better. I'm a little bit more equipped now, <laughs> but I still have my awkward moments to make you feel better. Even a couple of months ago in lockdown, I just wanted to go out and talk to people left, right and centre about Jesus. I wanted to invest that time while I was on furlough, so I had a bit extra time as well. And I recently was in, this is going to make you feel better, I was in Waitrose. And the night before, I'm in Cheshire, so Waitrose is like your local, so don't judge me. Anyway, so I was going to Waitrose to buy my bits. Don't judge me. Okay, okay. <laughs> Anyway, I was going to Waitrose to buy my bits and I see this girl who is literally serving people. She's at the till and she was in my dream the night before. And I'm like, that's crazy. I've only got a couple of little things in my, in my basket because I can't afford anything in there. And so I go to the longest queue to go and talk to her. And I want to say in evangelism, there's always a opportunity presented to you to step out to back out there's always that if you can learn just to go God will show up you just have to always overcome that moment of the way out and so I joined the longest queue with the short smallest basket everyone's doing the whole yearly shop literally I'm there like for 40 minutes and so I get to the end and there's um, someone there who like literally I'm about to talk to her and start talking to her about Jesus and literally she changed her shift at that moment and so she runs to the back of the shop. So then I start running through the aisles of Waitrose to find her. And I find her in such a hurried state that I mess up all my words. So I literally come to her and I'm like, oh, sorry, like, I'm a Christian. And can I pray for you today? And I really felt, and I saw you in a dream. And um, can I pray for you? And she was like, oh, okay, uh, all right, uh, no, no, thank you. And, um, and then I was meant to say, okay, Jesus loves you, but I forgot the words Jesus and replaced it with I. So I said, I love you. <laughs> this is two months ago. <laughs> and then she was like, okay. Um, and, then, and then I sort of walked home on the walk of shame, back home, thinking, <laughs> oh, I was so optimistic before it started. And uh, anyway, I, I walk in the house and Bessel is like sitting on the computer doing graphic design and she always asks me, how did it go today? So I said, oh yeah, nothing. nothing. 
just declared my love for a black girl in Waitrose. But it was fine, you know, like it's all good, you know. Anyway, anyway, God's so good. And so the next day I go out again. I'm just trying to get into a habit of like going out 10 minutes, 20 minutes each day. God, God can do a lot in 20 minutes if you give him 20 minutes. Literally, if you should go and speak to one person, God can do a lot. So literally, the next day I walk out, I have this word Sandra on my mind. And so I walk out and I'm, very, I'm a bit more picky that day of who to speak to. And I speak to this one lady and I start ministering to her. God starts really moving in that place. And I said, oh, what's, by the way, what's your name? What, what did you think her name was? Sandra, which was amazing to her. And she was like, oh, my days, this is amazing. And then so I walk off after that, feeling a bit more happy about myself. And then that girl from Waitrose is right there. So I was like, thank you, Lord. And so I go and clear up my whole mess and tell her about the goodness of God. She didn't receive Jesus right now or, or me either because <laughs> I was a weirdo. Anyway, so but she 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 could start to understand. And I knew and I said, I saw you in a dream and God has this word for you. And so I delivered the word like a faithful postman. <laughs> it does get better than that. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> but I want to encourage you, if you want to get going in evangelism, Find someone in your church, an evangelist, and say, can I just come along and observe? That's the first step. Can I ask you just to do that? Find someone in your church who's already doing street evangelism and say, can I just come along and watch? That's all I want to do. Am I okay for time? I don't know what the time is. Yeah? Okay. Yeah? Okay. I'll, I'll round up soon. Okay, cool. Just go along and ask to observe and take some risks and see what God's willing to do with you. If you're starting out with it, this is a tip. Go to someone who looks like you, dresses like you, similar age. They'll see themselves in you. Go and talk to them first and go and just share what you know about Jesus with them. I always say this, (laughs) sometimes I get the that proper giggles when I go out and do evangelism. People find me quite funny when they come with me because I'm always laughing. But well, sometimes people can really throw you off. I went to this guy who looked like me. And so I was like, started a conversation. And I thought he was just going to be like me. And then he came out with the strongest Rastafarian accent. And he just threw me off. And then I had to like, and then he asked me to pray for him. And then I had to go to my generic prayer closet and just try and find a prayer to pray because I couldn't stop laughing. It, anyway, I pray. Anyway. I want to I leave you with three things to do when you're going to street evangelism. Number one, smile. Okay, you've got good news, not bad news with you. Okay, wake up your face. Your face needs to look saved. Yeah? If you look grumpy, they don't, they're not going to want to come. Why is no one coming to my church? I've told them how much God loves them. And... Oh man, I don't know. Maybe baptize your face. I don't know. <laughs> Again? I do it right now. <laughs> oh, my days. Smile. Wake up your face. Sometimes before I go out, I look in the mirror and just smile a bunch. Wake up my face. Go and then be gentle. Jesus is gentle, remember? When Jesus is talking about himself, he says, take my yoke upon me uh, you, uh, and learn from me, for I am gentle. That's one of the first things God wants us to know about Jesus. He's gentle. So go and be gentle with people. And be clear. Be, smile, be gentle, be clear. This is why I say to people most of the time, hey, my name's Matt. Uh, I know this is going to sound a bit weird, but I'm a Christian out today and I'm praying for people. Is there anything you are feeling anxious about today? That's all I say. Is there anything you are feeling anxious about today? And then I let them speak. 
<laughs> Friends, there are so many people out there who are so ready to be loved. They are waiting for a spiritual experience. They are waiting. That's why all the movies are about that, because it's a longing of their heart. And they are so ready to be loved. You know, love gives truth a voice. And so my aim is always to go out to listen, to share my testimony, to share the gospel and hopefully do a response. I want to just I just basically want to encourage you who, who would never want to go out and do this. Eight out of 10, the two responses you get the most, and I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of people, this is the often the most that you get from people. One of two responses. Number one, no thank you. And you just say, okay, no worries. Well, my name's Matt. God bless you anyway. You see them on the way. Or the other one is, oh, that's really kind. Wow, that's so, could you pray for my sister? And I'm like, yeah, I could pray for your sister. Of course I can. I want to encourage you, friends, that England is the most easy place in the world to evangelize in terms of persecution. What, my friend, who, who's like, he's amazing, he's an amazing preacher and all that stuff. But when he gets out, I took him into Morrison's runs to do evangelism with him. And he just went in on himself. And I said, what's, what's up? You know, like, he's, you know, like what? And he said, well, he said, where I'm from in Egypt, if you do what you're doing right now, you disappear. The secret police will take you. So I have that ingrained in my mind that I could disappear or my family could disappear if I start doing this openly. In England, the most scariest persecution half the time that you receive is a tut. It's so powerful and scary. It's unbelievable. When someone tuts at you, I was like, oh, my Lord. Write this in the Bible, this story. This is so powerful and so scary. 5% of the time, you get a weird response. Like, literally only 5% of the time. Like, questions like, what about the Vikings? These are all questions I get, right? What about the Vikings? Who's Jesus' girlfriend in heaven right now? Well, I don't know. (laughs) Obviously, I answer that and say, "Um, okay, I need to pray for you right now. (laughs) The other one, someone once shouted at me and he said, even the Pope has given up on you. I was like, all right. <laughs> I've not given up on the Pope. <laughs> the other one, uh, this was my favorite. This is when I first started getting into this, but this is literally never happens. I once went up to a guy in Brighton. I said, could I pray for you? He said, if you pray for me, I will kill you. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Um, okay. <laughs> Where's my friend? <laughs> My, the most common one I get now, which is I have to always try and keep a straight face, is I will talk to someone literally in the dark sometimes for hours and they will be like, yeah, I just can't believe the God thing. But here's, here's what I believe in aliens. Here's what I believe in zombies. Believe me, those two things are massive. Let me tell you about how Adam and Eve were put here by aliens and century after century, the aliens give us a bit more technology until we're capable with more. And I'm like, oh, okay. Anyway, so we need to give truth a voice. We need to actually have volume to our faith because there's a lot of demonic activities and belief systems that are being created over there because the gospel is not being proclaimed. (laughs) If someone asks you a hard question and you don't know, just say you don't know. But this is what I do know. And then share something that God has done in your life. Okay, you don't have to worry about not knowing the answers. Just share what you do know in God. And, and I want to say the, the place you want to get to is where you are always being able to share his story and your story. 
your story of how you met him, but also his story. For me, I use that thing called the three circles. Who's here have heard of that before? So the three circles, put your hand up if you heard about that. There's many, you know, these tools can be really helpful to you because I don't know about you, but depending on what, uh, what I've eaten that day is depending on how I say the gospel. Sometimes I used to confuse everyone everywhere when I try and explain the gospel and even be in a position where I want them to pray for me at the end because I'm so confused by what the gospel is. Testimony, I'm fine, but we need something that's simple that we can then declare it. And so usually I would draw, you would think people wouldn't want you to draw out three circles. I was really cynical about that, but people will. And actually, if you're not, if you're like me, where you're not into arguments and all that stuff, you can actually focus both of you on a drawing together and they can start to understand the cycle of the gospel. So because it gets so into your system, now I can say to someone, well, have you ever heard the gospel? And they'll say like, What's that? And I'll say, well, it just means the good news of God. You know, everywhere in life, you see forms of brokenness, everywhere. And I said, you see it on the news, you see it in our families, you even see it in ourselves sometimes. But I say, but people always say to me, well, if God is so good, why did God allow so much suffering? But actually God, when he made the world, he made a perfect design and that went to a broken world through one word called sin. Now, sin is anything that we do that disobeys God. Now, the problem with brokenness is that we try and fix ourselves. So, so for me, I try to fix the void in my life by getting a hot girlfriend and getting a really good art career. That's how I try to fix the void in my life. But it's like a bungee shoot. It pulls you straight back into brokenness and then you're left trying to refill that cycle again. The good news about God is that he sent his son Jesus into your brokenness, your and my brokenness, right? And he did something that no other man has ever done before. He lived a perfect life to remove all our guilt, all our shame and all our sin upon the cross. And then three days later, he rose again. And then now he wants to take you and me out of all forms of brokenness. And so we get to calm our brokenness if we're willing to do two things. If we are willing to turn from our sin and we choose to follow Jesus as our king. Then God puts his spirit in you and you start to desire the things of God. You just start to desire to pray, to read your Bible, to be around church. And then he gives you a mission in your life to go back into a broken world and to see others set free by his love. I want to say everyone is in two camps. They're either here in brokenness, trying to fill the void, or they're here in God's perfect design and God's spirits within them. Which circle would you say you were in? And then let them speak. You'd be amazed how many people that makes so much sense to. And then you obviously take it from wherever that is. And I want to say the, the main aim of evangelism is not to get a good testimony to share at church. The main aim is to make a disciple. So you want to say, can we meet for coffee? You want to make a connection with them. You want to start to implement them into the church and be a, come, a friend to them. I hope this is, makes sense. I just want to leave you with two quick testimonies because I feel, what? how much time have I got left? Sorry, I'm a bit, okay, okay, all right. Is everyone okay a minute? Just finish up. Okay, cool. Okay, so I just want a couple of things just in, I, I don't want to talk too much about prophetic evangelism, something that I feel very passionately about. I just want to talk about just street evangelism. And so even like when I went out, even on the first lockdown, I remember going out, talking to an old lady 
walking a dog on a Saturday night, start talking to her about Jesus. She's 75 years old. She tells me at five years old, she had a vision of Jesus Christ. 70 years has passed and she says no one has ever come to spoke to her about Jesus. Until me, this awkward evangelist, stumbles up to her and starts talking to her. In that moment, she gives her life to Jesus and then This is the hard part, guys, the discipling part. You have to follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up. Call them, invest in them. And now she's a part of our church and now she's in discipleship groups. Already learning how to now train up other people in that place. Our next door neighbour, his... (laughs) This is quite funny. This is what's really weird for Southerners, that Northerners standing in their front gardens. This really throws us off because... We're used to everyone being in the back garden. And so Beth's talking to our next door neighbor, a guy called Ash. And he's standing in the front. He's standing in the front of his garden in his dressing gown, half naked. I really hate dressing gowns. I'm just going to put that out there. That's the things I hate the most. Actually, I won't say why. Um, Carry on. (laughs) Carry on. This is wisdom right now. Anyway, my, my wife Beth, she said, okay, when my husband gets home, he wants to pray for you because he had been telling her about how his leg would have to be broken soon because he's got a back pain or something. He's going to have to have a stump in his shoe. And so Beth said, oh, I'll, Matt will pray for you when he gets home. So when I came home, Beth said, oh, Matt will pray for your leg and he'll get better, basically. And so he put his feet out in my living room and I was just remembering a Todd White video I saw. So I was like, okay, I'm going to pray for his leg to grow out. And guess what? His leg grew out so much so that he was stunned and he couldn't say, what the F? That's all he couldn't stop doing. I shared the three circles. He wasn't ready right there to give his life to Christ, but then his girlfriend became a Christian. And This is like in recent weeks. I want to talk a lot more about prophetic evangelism. That's amazing. But I want to say God will use you where you're at. I just want to say get around someone who knows a little bit about what they're doing and just observe them and learn a technique like a three circles of that. And you will be blessed. You will be blessed by it.